Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to episode 37 of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. I know I am a few days late, but I have an amazing guest today, Joe Keating, the writer and co-creator of Ringside and Shudder. And in this interview, we speak about how he was first exposed to comics, how he got his first job at Image, how he got his first job working for Marvel and DC, and finally returning back home to Image to write Shudder, as well as to write his most recent comic, Ringside, which is about the byproducts of the professional wrestling industry, as well as various other projects he has worked on and his entire philosophy on comics and some great advice for anybody who wants to get into the industry so i hope you enjoy the interview and we're gonna dive right into it so you've been writing comics for a little over 10 years now when were you first exposed to comic books i don't really remember when i was a kid they were just always there my theory is that it came in through action figures but i don't really know because back in the 80s action figures gi joe transformers always packaged with comics but as far as i remember comics were just always a part of my life and then when i was a about 10 years old, there was this issue of Spawn written by Dave Sim, number 10, and it was all about the nature of the industry and what creator-owned means, and I read that, oh, that's what I want to do with my career. That was really cool. So ever since I was 10, it was like the thing I wanted to do, so that's what I'm doing. And now, growing up, what were some of the titles that you were reading? I read a lot of comics. I love comics from all over the world and all over time. When I was a kid, I really liked a lot of the early Image stuff, even before it was Image. I liked Eric Larson's run on Spider-Man. I liked uh, Rob Liefeld's stuff a lot. I got older, started finding people like Dan Klaus and Hernandez Brothers. And Kyle Baker is a big one for me. People kind of all over the spectrum of comics. Katsuro Tomo. As I got older, I found some more of the European stuff because it was kind of harder to get at the time. Like Quarter Maltese or Hugo Pratt. Mobius especially. I read all sorts of comics to this day. Like There are people who are like, oh, I only read super indie stuff. Or I only read Marvel or DC. Or yeah, I only read manga. I'm like, I read anything. It's comics. There's, you can do anything with it. So whether it's Rana Telgemeier or Rob Liefeld or Walking Dead, as long as it's different. That's the kind of thing I look for. As long as someone's trying something new. I'm in. And it can even be with older characters. Like, I'm a huge Doctor Doom fan to this day. And I really love what Esau Ribic and Jonathan Hickman did on Secret Wars. That was really cool. I guess the point is, I read a lot of prose, I watch a lot of movies, I listen to a lot of music. I like kind of taking in culture any way I can, but comics is definitely my favorite way to do it. And now you mentioned a question ago that Spawn 10 was really your moment where you're like, I could write comics. How did you go about pursuing that and finding information on how to write a comic book? Well, I was 10 at the time, and the internet was in like infant stages it was probably like seven years old if that makes sense but i had access to the internet at a really early age i was like on prodigy with techno comics was trying to promote the shit out of it i remember on america online there was a really small group of people talking about comics and one of them was steve gerber who created howard the duck with valmeric and because there wasn't a bunch of us, but back then I could be like, hey, Steve Gerber, would you read my short story? And he was amazing. He was, you know, I actually haven't really talked about this publicly all that much, but he was a major early influence on me, very directly and very personally. I and mean, his whole story about Howard and Marvel and really, I came from the source. And then he would read my stuff and be really encouraging. And back then I didn't really know how to write comics. I was writing all the like, prose stuff. And, you know, you get older what you perceive as reality begins to get in the way, which I really think is adulthood trying to crush your childhood stuff. How am I supposed to write comics? It's not really something people do. So I went to the wayside for a little bit until in my early 20s I had the opportunity to leave college or try pursuing comics. So I tried pursuing comics, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just was like, let's just pursue comics, whatever that means. And so I got an early job doing color flats, 
which was just a way in because it was like it's comics and it pays money so now i could go to conventions and i could be the guy like i color flatted really early issues of invincible my color flatted some savage dragon i've known robert kirkman since like 2003 2002 somewhere around there so it's been a really long time and then that was a way for me to go to conventions and so i'd hang out i met robert and i met eric larson eric larson eric stevenson those three guys have had such a huge impact on my career in terms of giving me opportunities later on steve wagner's a guy brought me into marvel darren shan brought me to dc so you know it goes on but anyway and so i just you know figured i worked in publishing for a little while and i remember one time a friend of mine worked on a lot of the awesome comic stuff back in the day like when alan moore was writing it they gave me like let me copy off all these like xeroxes of all these alan moore scripts i was like oh my god and some of them were never even published. Some of them to this day, like there's some like Youngblood stuff that's never been published. And I was like, oh, I never want to write comics like this. Because I don't know if you've seen an Alan Moore script, but Jesus, it's like a novel. An Alan Moore script, a single panel will take up like a page of prose. And a lot of it meanders. Like if you look at a Watchmen scripts, which you can, there's a great book about making Watchmen that I don't know if it's even still out anymore within print, but it came out around the time the movie came out. And it was specifically about creating the comic where Alan Moore didn't really participate in it, but Dave Gibbons did. And you see the scripts and he would just highlight like the most important parts because Alan would just ramble on about like this that the other thing but then it was like it got me like okay well this is how comics are made and then to make a really long story very short I left publishing and tried freelancing and then for a year and a half it was really rough but then I got the opportunity to write a book called Glory and that was Sophie Campbell she was the artist and that really uh, launched everything for me like that's what got my Marvel work it's what got my DC work it's what got me to be able to position to do Shudder it's how I met Leila Del Duca who draws Shudder and Shudder is what led me to meet Nick Barber who draws Ringside and now being in your early career you mentioned that you really met Eric Larson and Robert Kirkman uh -huh. how do you feel that influenced your career considering that the two of them are huge cornerstones of image in very different ways especially with Larson it's on a very personal I think he comes off a little abrasive online and sometimes I read his Twitter feed and I'm like, oh, Jesus, Eric. But he's a really sweet, really good guy. Maybe I've even learned more about life than even comics from him. With Robert, you know, people... I don't know if you can call it talking shit or whatever, but people really, uh, oh, you know, he's so successful at Walking Dead. And first con I worked at his table, he made like two or three thousand dollars and he was so stoked. He worked his ass off. Walking Dead didn't become a TV show until, I want to say like nine or ten years in the comics run. It became a success with this incremental long-term thinking. Like, it was really interesting to see that play out and it really affected how I view not just my career, but comics in general because I love writing comics. It's a major passion of mine. I want to be a part of comics in a way that's more than just I just write my own thing and that's it I think it's a, a culture and art form I really am passionate for and have seen that so many people that have come before us the reasons I get to live the life that I have is because a lot of people before me went through a lot of awful shit whether it's guys who created Superman got a check for like 130 bucks which look that was the business back then but even still on a moral level I still take umbrage with it just so it doesn't seem like I'm doing a big anti-DC or Marvel thing they were extremely generous with me and their, their contracts now are very upfront so I don't have any problem with them but there's that history though you can't deny or you know the air pirates artists getting sued for parody and I don't know, all sorts of things and i feel it's really important to pay it forward so what i'm getting at here is through robert not it's not just monetary success but to really have an impact on comics and i, I learned this from eric stevenson too you really need to be thinking about the larger picture i'm hoping i'll be able to write comics so the day i die i'd also like to be able to give back to this thing that's given so much to you and like larson i really got a lot of history stuff on a lot of art stuff on stevenson a lot of business and, and Robert a lot of business and gave me a lot of things early on. Robert and Eric and Eric were really formative. Time goes on, you know, I had a lot of other people in my life too. Those are kind of the big three. Like I mentioned, Steve Wacker at Marvel. I love that guy. Really 
been a huge help in my career. Darren Shanahan is again another guy I mentioned. I guess the overall point, getting back to your question, is I think the thing, lesson I've learned from all these people is that you got to pay it forward. You know? Robert came up and worked his ass off, but he didn't necessarily do it alone. He took a lot of risks. I mean, when Walking Dead came out, it sold 7,000 units for number one. The common trajectory of comic book sales is that you get a huge number one, and then you get a, about a 40-50% attrition on number two, and then you hopefully will stabilize, and sometimes you get a little bit ups, a little bit downs. Eventually, tapers off it eventually just ends but you know walking dead started at seven thousand. now it's closer to seventy thousand. and it's not necessarily the numbers part is the really important aspect of it but you know it obviously helps be enabled to, to do the creativity and the fact that you know robert could have easily taken his riches and bought a castle and never gotten heard from again but he helped form skybound which is a company i also work with i mean i'll say especially for work for hire it's the most generous contract I've ever gotten the page rate and participation and that's all stuff he doesn't have to do the importance of paying it forward I guess is the ultimate answer to your question and now when was the first comic that you wrote and how did you get approached to write your first comic the first comic I ever wrote was an issue of negative burn which I don't remember which issue number anymore Joe Pruitt was the editor. Really nice guy, just met through working in comics, and he and I just got along, and he asked me if I'd be interested, and I was like, yeah, you know, I could, I could do something. That was it, and then when I saw myself in print, you know, I didn't get paid a dime for it, but I didn't want to, it was just to be able to get my name in print. And it was really cool just to see something that you wrote into a script, and my friend Evan Bryce drew it, and to see that become like a real comic book and printed, it was like, oh my God, you know, this is something I should do. And I had done short stories after that for a while, but I didn't really get off the stick until I left the company I was working for and I was broke essentially for about 18 months and you know, talking about lessons learned from Robert it's like he didn't have no money when he was doing Battle Pope so it was like okay well no one's gonna hand me anything so you just have to do it and so I was like alright well how do I do this I just got off the stick and I just did it and didn't make a lot of money at first and then I got to a point where I was able to be a sustainable living and it's pretty great and I feel very lucky like I really love the art form so much and the community around comics that I deal with and all that sorts of stuff. So now eventually in 2012 you got to write for Spider-Man 699.1 as, uh -huh. well as Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes number 11. Mm -hmm. What was that like writing the Avengers and Spider-Man? You know I love creating stuff. I think that's really cool. I love creating stuff with, with people and there is a part of me that I think exists in a lot of people who are raised on comics where it's like oh you get to write Spider-Man like that's Pretty fucking cool, right? So, Steve Wacker was talking to me on Twitter about how much he liked Glory. And I was like, well, I love Marvel Comics. Which, I mean, I'm talking to you drinking out of a Doctor Doom cup. Like, Marvel Comics are the shit. So I was like, hey, I'll, I'll do something with Marvel sometime. He's like, oh yeah, we should talk, we should do something. And he picked me up to do a Thanos book. Like a mini-series about Thanos. It's funny, I've always liked Thanos. I grew up on the Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, that kind of stuff. But I had just, coincidentally, I got on a big Jim Darlin kick. And I just bought all of Warlock. Coincidentally. I, I get a thing a lot of times where I'm like, I want to know everything about this one artist. So I'll just like, read everything about I can from them. Or writer, whether it's comics or any film or prose. And then, the week before that, I saw Avengers. And there was that, and I mean, spoilers for Avengers. But you know, Thanos is at the end. So that was really cool. I was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. And it was really great. It was going on really well and then i think they got a call from marvel studios that was just like nope like which is fine you know people were like oh you pissed on marvel and i was like no when you work at marvel or dc you're paid to do a very specific job you're paid to write their characters and there's a bottom line and i think that's what you're paid to do it's the job so i was really bummed out but i was like oh you know and i think in the end i was told that you know the publishing schedule and look i mean if i was an editor would i give the thanos book to my marquee guys or this schlub who wrote one rob liefeld comic which 
again, I love Rob Liefeld's stuff immensely. Like, I could defend Rob's stuff to the end of the earth. I think I really legitimately think he's amazing. So, I mean, I get it. And then Wacker, again, this is why I love him so much. He didn't have to do this at all. But he was like, hey, well, you know, I'm sorry about that. You could write this Spider-Man spinoff book. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. I like Spider-Man. So it ended up being Morbius. And that was pretty cool. Was, it was slightly like dream come true to write Spider-Man. But then again, Peter Parker wasn't even Spider-Man at the time. He starred Morbius, which was like, all right. And that was fun. In the end, I kind of wish I did more minis or one-shots for them. I think going into an ongoing, I don't think I was really ready for that just yet. But, you know, it was fun. And then the next thing I did, I worked on the Hulk. And then I got to do a what if. There's a lot of good people at Marvel on their staff. Just watching a thing. Sana Amat, who's, I forget her exact title. But she was actually an editor that I worked with. And she was at the White House talking about the importance of diversity in literature. And I was like, that's pretty cool. But I had always gotten in the comics to kind of do my own thing. So I got the itch to do a creator-owned book. I met Leslie Del Duca and, and Owen Jenny, who I knew from Glory. I, I pitched them on Shudder. They were both really into it, and Image was really into it. So I, I did Shudder. I was really methodical. I kind of wanted Shudder to be the only thing you could get from me for a little while. Be like, if you want a Joe Keating written comic. Now I, I have Ringside out, and I've got some other cool stuff. So I, I'm mainly focused on that. If the right thing came around, from Marvel especially, or, or maybe even DC, who knows. But right now, I'm just loving creating a bunch of cool shit with a bunch of cool people. Kind of my, my MO right now. Obviously, you, you created Shudder. What was the inspiration behind creating Shudder? My main thing with comics in general is I always want to write stuff you want to read, you want to see exist. And Shudder can encapsulate a lot of influences of mine just in life, much less comics. I finished up my Marvel work and I finished up my DC stuff and I was just like, if I could do anything, what's the book I would do? Because I mean, there's a story about Stan Lee, actually. He was ready to quit comics because the industry wasn't going so well. He's he talking to his wife and his wife was like, look, Stan, you should at least give it one more shot. Like, what would, what's the ultimate comic you'd want to do right now? And he did Fantastic Four with Jack Kirby. And that always really stuck with me. So it was like, yeah, you know, again, no hard feelings. Marvel, DC, they're fine. But I was just like, okay, so what's the thing I wanted to exist most in the world? And I had been talking with Layla about her work and working together. And yeah, that's kind of what it came out of. So there's a lot of personal stuff in there. I love travel and I love venture fiction. Core of it is kind of twofold. One is the way family evolves over time and how people and who you're not blood related to can become your own family. And how, you know, you're born into something and then you evolve past it as you get older. And then just your perception you have of the world in yourself and how that always continues to evolve over time. I don't like to do the same thing. Like, I know a lot of guys like, ah, oh, do a bunch of horror comics. That's all people know you for. I want every comic I do to be totally different from the next. So when it was coming time, it was like, okay, my 18 months of just shutters starting to wrap up what else what I want to do. And I've had this idea for Ringside since about 2009, 2010. It's pitched around and it was never right. But then I met Nick Barber and I was like, oh, this guy, the look of the book, that's what exactly what I want. And he was awesome to work with. My next thing is going to be totally different than either one of those. It goes on and on. The thing that excites me the most, whether it's reader, writer, maybe editor, who knows, I just like new and different. I like it. I like to be thinking, oh, I haven't seen this before. I haven't seen this take on this thing before. This is new. You know, there are plenty of wrestling comics out there. I didn't invent the idea of doing wrestling comics. It's been there for a really long time. But I don't think I've seen one like Ringside. I don't think I've seen an adventure book like Shudder. You know, a friend of mine puts it really well. He amended it the other day. He was like, if you're doing anything but your dream book at Image, it's like having a magic lamp and use it as a paperweight. Kind of where I'm at. I want to work with that magic lamp rather. Create, again, hopefully a bunch of cool shit will, will come out of it. And now with Ringside, it's obviously about the wrestling industry. Was mm -hmm. it based off of any particular wrestlers or any stories with a bunch of wrestlers combined into one that really influenced your creation of Ringside? Well, I would say it's less about the industry and more so about how far are you willing to go for the things you believe in. And I don't think there's another industry or art form where that's more physically evident than professional wrestling. One example I've gone to a lot lately and then one is more recent 
accent. I think a lot about, I don't know how into wrestling you are, but I think about uh, Edge and Daniel Bryan a lot. And both those guys, man, they were like fans of it for life. They were in the stands as kids. Daniel Bryan especially overcame so much adversity, was told no constantly. And even though the WWE wasn't pushing him, he went over huge. And then one day he's told, if you keep doing this, you basically will die. And again, Edge went through a similar thing. And they're not a unique story. I find that so inspiring, whether it's in ringside or just my own life. Uh, in Portland, uh, WWE couldn't come here for a long time due to some, I forget, it's like a drug law or a steroid use law, I can't remember. That, that doesn't exist anymore, or they've changed their policy, I don't remember. But the point is, a lot of indie wrestling was able to flourish here during the heyday of WWE, and it still does. And so you see a lot of these guys, and actually this comes in the second arc of ringside, because the first arc of ringside, there's like a WWE, TNA, WCW. I have this idea, ringside will never be addressed in the book, where it's essentially like, what if the WWE never existed and it was all these different companies? But I'm, not, I'm never going to get to that. I just there's no time, there's no place for it. But it's, I always keep that in my head. So it's basically like a smaller than WWE. But in the second arc, I introduced these indie promotion, and one of the things I want to get into, I was talking to this, this wrestler the other day, and he works his ass off, and he's talking about making a living, but he's like, man, I drive five hours each way to make $30 a night. But he loves it so much, and he's giving his all to it. And there's a lot of stuff over here in, in Portland. DOA, there's one called Blue Collar Wrestling, which I haven't checked out yet, but I, I'm actually aiming to really soon. Uh, Portland Wrestling. And, and that's, I mean, those guys, those men and women are uh, amazing. And then, of course, on a bigger level, there's like Shikara, Ring of Honor, so on. A friend of mine's really got me into New Japan lately. But when I was younger, and it was, it was coming up, you go through different stages of being a fan of this stuff, right? So, like, when I was a kid, it was all the superstars there. So, it was, like, Hogan and Andre the Giant and Undertaker. Still there, obviously, but Jake the Snake. Macho Man, for instance, is a good point. We're going to want to bring up the next point. Was these guys seem larger than life. They didn't seem like human beings. They seemed like real-life superheroes. And then I kind of fell out of it. I got back in right when Attitude Era was about to emerge in WWF, and I was into it, but the main guy I got into was Mick Foley, because I thought he was awesome. I think Mick Foley, and to this day, Mick Foley is like my all-time favorite wrestler, and he wrote a book called Have a Nice Day, which was a very serious, extremely well-written and articulated look at his career, and he actually wrote it, unlike a lot of people, and that really got me checking out all the indie stuff and everything, and that really gets, gave me insight. So what I would say is, Ringside, rather, is not based on WWE or it's not based on McFoley or whatever. But I would say these real-life stories of these people throughout wrestling history, I can't help but be inspired by that. Again, that they give their all in a very physical, very real way. For These guys are not kids. They're very young. But I don't think they regret a thing. I think that they're completely content with what the sacrifices they've made. To see a guy like Undertaker who's still, granted, he's not like in the ring on a regular basis, but, you know, still shows up for WrestleMania every year, still puts over a crowd like that is rare. That you just don't see them very much. The main focus of ringside is how far are you willing to go. Do you feel that with smart wrestling fans that ringside plays to that audience as well as to a non-wrestling audience because it really captures the idea of how far a person is willing to go for something they believe in? Because, like, I hate dirt sheets. I really do i don't like them i don't like the gossip columns and i was really unpopular opinion to have amongst the smart fan i think it's a little uh, disrespectful but knowing that people are really sacrificing on such a major level that being said ringside is the hardest thing i've ever written even though something's difficult for me that means it's worthwhile i'm not a wrestler i don't work in that industry i am a spectator i'm mark but i am really respectful of dealing with a community that's pretty close-knit and I don't want to seem like I'm appropriating anything like that. 
So I, I spent a lot of time researching, I still do, and just trying to make it sound authentic. So the nice thing is, I've heard from pro wrestlers on a larger scale. I've heard from a lot of indie wrestlers, which means the most, to be quite frank. I, I find them amazing. In fact, in my latest letters column, I was like, look, I want to know what your local scene is like. Like, tell me about your stuff. So I just, it's one thing to be John Cena, and I actually don't mind Cena so as much as a lot of people do. But, you know, he's doing very well for himself. He also worked very hard to get there. But then you have these guys, again, who worked at Eagles Lodge just as hard as John Cena works the ring at some big arenas. You're also outside of ringside. You've been an editor on Pop Gun. What is it like to edit a comic rather than be the writer or be the colorist or do artwork for a comic? Well, Pop Gun was a long time ago. I think the first one came out in 2008. I love that kind of stuff. I love helping people... And it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately in terms of, and I don't have the answer to this yet, but how can I do this again? Because I, I, I want to write comics. But I miss helping people create their thing. And I kind of miss doing some of the editor stuff. I don't want to make my full-time thing again, but part of being an editor is not just correcting grammar or punctuation or whatever. A lot of it is project management. Good editor is not trying to like put their narrative stamp on things. They're there to help. Again, be like a project manager and like a cheerleader for the team. And like one of the best editors I've ever worked with is this guy, Sean Mackowitz, who works at Skybound. And the notes I get from him and Ariel, phrase it, but she's a, another editor at Skybound. The notes they give me improve everything I have done. I've worked with editors who I'm like, you're shitting on what we're doing here. Like, this is not, I'm not saying I'm great at what I do or anything, but it's like, that's not the point of what we're doing. Why are you doing this? Versus when I get stuff from Sean and Ariel, I'm like, oh, this is really smart. The rewrites I've done for Sean, he's helped me become a better writer because of that and a lot of other things. The crew they have at Skybound is really impressive. And so again, like that's the stuff that most appeals to me most in terms of being an editor myself is to help people make these things, help them realize things. And I really want to get back. I don't, want it to be my full-time thing again, but I do want to get back to a place where I am able to, to do that on a more regular basis. And Because that was the coolest part of, you know, in Popkin, we published a lot of people's first image comic, first comics ever in print. I helped bring some people in who don't traditionally do comics. There's this guy who, who I really like his work, and Chris French. Cool. Again, it's like I was talking about earlier, like, how can you pay this forward? Um, I'm actually just about to start a little project that I'll be editing, but it's less the editorial side and more so the idea of, like, how do you help people? A lot of people have helped me along the way, how do you pay, pay that for it? And I, and I felt like Pop Gun was a version of that, but that was a long time ago now, so it's time to do something like that again. And now you, you've been involved in many aspects of the business, from writing mm -hmm. comics to doing some artwork as a mm -hmm. colorist. You've written afterwards and a variety of other things on the business side. What right. advice do you have for people who want to get into the comic industry? Industry. Shut up and do it. I think a lot of people, I'm serious, I think a lot of people sit around and talk about it all fucking day and they don't get off the stick. Your first comic is going to suck. My first comic sucked because of me. The artist I worked with was amazing, but my end was not that good. And then you're not guaranteed success. You should do this because you want to do it. The first year and change, when I was first coming in, I didn't make any fucking money. The first year and change where I was writing full time, I didn't make any money. But it's not the point. The point is to just do work that you're passionate about and if you wait for it to happen, it'll never happen. And some people wait and wait and wait you've got to go out there and you've got to make this thing real you've got to go and you can do it so how do you do that if you're a writer and you know you don't have a lot of money you pay artists to do short stories there's this writer he is for one of the first guys i saw who he did a little anthology of his work and it was all these little short stories two to three pages paul's last name is a L-O-O-R. It was genius because you saw him write all these different genres, all different artists, and they were good artists, but you couldn't afford to pay them. Big rates do a big thing. I don't know what his monetary structure was, but it, it, was, it was really smart. And because if he tried to write a whole big 24-issue miniseries or whatever maxi-series, or I guess that's an ongoing series now, it would never have happened. But starting small and getting bigger and just being patient, but also like, yeah, just get off the stick, man. Read and watch 
a lot of things outside of comics. And most importantly, live your life. All the really good stuff comes out of life experience. All the good stuff comes out of other shit you've read. Go live your life. I had to go through a lot of shit before I really had much to say about it. And then finally, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Some of your comic issues that are coming out? Facebook, website, Twitter? I don't do any social media stuff, man. I'm just My website's powered by Tumblr, and that's it. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. Which is, if people love it, that's awesome. That's just not for me. JoeKeating.com, which is the only website thing I have. Which, again, you can follow through Tumblr. Shutter is about to wrap up its second act, where we just kicked off the fourth arc. And yeah, and that wraps up the second act. That's really exciting. So we've been building up for you know, finally revealing a lot of stuff that seemed random. It's not random at all. And then uh, Ringside uh, is about to wrap up its first arc, and it'll be back in July. So buy Shutter Trades, buy Ringside Trades, and then read the comic books. Other than that, just going to keep putting stuff out. And I really appreciate it. Like, people being generous enough to buy these things and read them has enabled me to be able to do this. So I, I very much appreciate it, and I'm thankful. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. And as always, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pop Anime Comics and on our website, popanimecomics.com, for articles relating to anime, comics, and wrestling. And for my anime fans out there, I will be in Anime Boston doing two panels one on The Godfather of Anime, Asama Tezuka, and another on Sports Anime. So be there, check the schedule, it's going to be a great panel, it's going to be a great time, and I hope to see you there, and I hope to see you as a subscriber of mine in the future, and checking out my website. Till next time everybody, have a great week.